And my is, you listen to that, that peace can mean two different things depending on the stage of life you're in. For some of you, you may well feel blown around in the storm. And peace simply means just the absence right now of all of that pressure and turmoil. And for some of us, we may well be in a season where peace for us means the kind of absence, the end of the tyranny of the urgent, because we just run and run and run and run. Well, the message today is simply entitled, Slow Down to Power Up. And wherever you find yourself, I pray today that whether you are a leader of a company where you are just running from beginning to end, or whether you are someone who is just maybe even released from prison and you just need to find rest, I pray that your faith will rise up as the Spirit of God takes the will of God in the Word of God and reveals it to you. Won't you join me in praying that God would do that? Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the privilege of worship because it truly is in moments like these that we get, even for a few moments, to be still. And what we want, Father, in these moments is for the truth in your word that is your will to become a part of our soul so that we would be able to hear what it is that you're saying and go out and live as the people you've called us to live. God, we thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you and we pray that you would have your way in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Central. If you are a uh, guest of ours, my name is uh, Craig, and I get the privilege of wrapping up our series uh, today, which is enti- which has been entitled a Radical Minimum. Over the last few weeks, we have essentially looked at a few daily rhythms. Those daily rhythms were connecting with God through prayer that Wi-Fi signal. It's a two-way communication where we get to slow down to to hear God speak. It's also connecting with God through his word, not just the idea that we read God's word for it to inform our mind, for us to have the mind of Christ, but also that God's word reads us in order for us to have the heart of God and the heart of Christ for the world. Again, two-way communication, a daily rhythm. Now, this sounds really simple, right? reading the Bible and praying, and yet the, the reality is the vast majority of, of people who follow Jesus struggle even with that. And so we kicked off this idea of 28 days of radical minimum, and we've been reading through the book of Acts and just challenging us to, to sit in a seat for 15 minutes, to have five minutes of uninterrupted time with God in prayer, and to have 10 minutes where we just read a single chapter of Scripture a day. Seems like such a radical step for some of us, and yet the reality is that this is just a bare minimum of doing life with God in the way that he intended it. And then last week, Steve talked about that, the kind of what we're calling the monthly rhythm. The the idea that we would actually engage in meaningful community with other people. Why? To fight with and to fight for God's will for our lives, to give people the opportunity to speak into our lives and redirect us where we need it, but also for us to stand alongside and inspire and encourage other people. Again, when we look at Acts chapter 2, this was just a, a natural overflow of what happens in a person's life when 
God gets a hold of it. And yet for some of us, even a, a monthly commitment to allow other people to stand with us, wow, that's radical. And what we're saying is, look, if we can even do this, pray, read the Bible, connect in community, things that seem so radical. The amazing thing is that what seems radical to us now will be nothing compared to what God has for us later on. And this message today entitled Slowing Down to Power Up is based on another radical minimum. It's what God ordains. And that is that each and every week we set aside time to rest. That we set aside a time for rest and worship. Now, depending on your situation in, in life, and if it's anything like Vipker and mine, this is something we need to fight for. Just this morning, Vipker and I were kind of communicating in the bathroom before I uh, left for, uh, for church, and, and I said, Vipker, today's message is where the message has as much uh, to say to the minister as it hopefully does to the congregation. Our February is going to be absolutely nuts. But this theme, rest, Slowing down in order to get powered up is so essential that I need to fight to make it happen. Radical minimum. We want to challenge you to set aside a weekly time for rest and worship. Now, whenever you talk about the theme of rest, there is another word associated with it, and that is the word Sabbath. It's a Sabbath rest. Now, talking about the Sabbath is a bit of a controversial issue. So before we dig into that, let's have a look at the foundation for this idea of rest and see how it's tied to the idea of worship. In Exodus chapter 35, verse 2, and some of your Bibles, it'll be verse 1, you read this. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day. Now notice that, holy. Just hang on to that word holy. We'll, we'll refer back to that a little while later. It's a day of Sabbath rest. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath will be put to death. After the service this morning, two nurses came up to me and said, hey, this was really great. I'm going to miss the Super Bowl today because I'm going to work. Oops. This is clearly a little bit drastic. So what's going on here? Now, obviously, they're not going to be, I'm saying obviously, you may think it's not so obvious, but obviously, they're not going to be punished for caring for people, and you'll see why I say that a little while later. But why, why does God's word state this so drastically? Well, the answer is that the Sabbath was a symbol of the relation between God and his covenant people. And so breaking the Sabbath was tantamount in those days to breaking the covenant with God. Now the word Sabbath rest is literally the Hebrew Shabbat, Shabbaton, which means the rest of restfulness. That's the idea, Sabbath rest, this rest of restfulness. It's the day of rest from which there was this pause from what you were doing the rest of the week. In other words, the idea here is that the Sabbath was a day of contrast. It's a day of contrast. Now the basis for this verse is found in the activity of God himself. And so the verse of Genesis chapter two and verse three says this, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, 
Here's why. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this idea of the Sabbath then is actually a principle that is derived from creation before the fall. The work of creating the world and resting means that the idea of the Sabbath is not a punishment. The idea of work is again before the fall. Work isn't a punishment. It is a blessing and a privilege. Resting is a part of that. This is part of the divine principle. It's part of God's divine design. And what God wants is for us all to slow down, to be powered up for what's ahead. And what we sense from that verse is that there is a sense of divine rhythm to everyday life. That's what happens when we pause. This rest sustains the supernatural in the realm of the natural. It maintains creativity amidst mundane monotony. So this is the idea. The idea of us taking rest is actually based on God's example. And the idea is that, look, we need this weekly rhythm of rest and worship because this is the example that God gave us. And God wants this example to be his people's experience. And the question is, is it yours? Now, of course, the minute we start to ask a question like that, is this weekly rhythm of rest yours? We start to wrestle through, okay, how am I supposed to do this then? Because this idea of a Sabbath rest has been controversial. We live in Holland, right? Somebody told me after the first service how they used to dread the Sabbath. They used to dread it because every Sunday, this, this lady is an older lady now, she said every Sunday she would be taken to church by her parents and she would have this long dress on, she would finish after church, she would go home, the curtains would be closed, she was not allowed, she was allowed to take the dress off, but she was not allowed to put any pants on and they couldn't have any fun whatsoever. So she said that the minute you started going on this, I thought, oh no, what's he going to do? Because this thing is controversial. What's right? What's not right? A guy by the name of Isaac Asimov writes the story of Rabbi Feldman. And Rabbi Feldman had been having trouble with the congregation of his synagogue. And it seemed that they couldn't agree on anything at all. Controversy filled the air until the Sabbath itself became an area of conflict. Now, I've said controversy, that's the way I say it. Controversy is the way that you say it. I'll probably say it wrong over and over again. It's one of those words that after a decade in this country, I still cannot get it right. Okay, so I'm saying controversy, but I'll probably say controversy because that's what we say where I come from. Anyway, the Sabbath, they argued about it. Let's put it that way. And so the president of the congregation went up to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, look, this can't be allowed to continue anymore. Come, there must be a conference and we must settle all the areas of dispute once and for all. Agreed, said the rabbi. Asimov continues, at the appointed time, therefore, the rabbi, the president, and 10 elders met in the conference room of the synagogue, sitting about a magnificent mahogany table. One by one, the issues were dealt with on each, uh, on each of the issues, and on each of the issues, it became more and more apparent that the rabbi was a lonely voice in the wilderness. The president said, come rabbi, enough of this. Let us vote and allow the majority to rule. 
And so the president passed out slips of paper and each man made his mark. The slips were collected and the president said, you may examine them, Rabbi, it is 11 to one against you and we have the majority. Whereupon the rabbi rose to his feet in offended majesty. So, he said, you now think that because of the vote that you are right and I am wrong. Well, that is not so. I stand here, and he raised his arms impressively, and call upon the Holy One of Israel to give us a sign that I am right and you are wrong. Asimov continues, and as he said so, there came a frightful crack of thunder and a brilliant flash of lightning that struck the mahogany table and cracked it in two. The room was filled with smoke and fumes, and the president and the elders were hurled to the floor. Through the carnage, the rabbi remained erect and untouched, his eyes flashing and a grim smile across his face. Slowly, the president and the elders picked themselves up from, what, from the floor, looked at what was left of the rest of their table, of the table. Their hair was singed, their glasses were hanging from one ear, their clothing was in disarray, and the president said, all right, rabbi, 11 to two, but we still have the majority. As soon as we get into talking about Sabbath, what's right, what's wrong, we're getting into a topic here that has been controversial from before Jesus lived. It was controversial while Jesus lived. It's been controversial throughout church history. And there's nothing that I'm going to say today that will do anything to put a dent in that. And so I want to remind us what we're doing. What we're looking at here is the bare minimum. Look, what do we need to do to put ourselves in the right place to actually be the kind of people that God wants us to be and to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And what we need in order to do that is to set aside a weekly time for rest and worship. We need to slow down in order to power up. Now, dealing with this issue of Sabbath and rest means that we're gonna have to deal with three issues. There are three components to this. How you rest is going to embrace the need for worship, that's the first one, address the necessity of work, that's the second one, and it needs to allow you an opportunity to witness. Those are the three issues here. In order for you to rest, you're going to have to tackle the issue of what do I think about worship? Secondly, what do I do with work? And thirdly, what do I do with opportunities that I have to serve God? These are the three areas. And as we look at three passages of Scripture today, you will see from this why it is important for, for us all to basically slow down every week in order to power up, but also you'll see glimpses of how God helps us understand how that can be done. Three passages, three truths, three reasons why a rhythm of rest is necessary. The first reason is this. The Sabbath is a sign. The reason we all need to slow down to power up is because slowing down is a sign. It is a testimony. Slowing down bears witness to the God of creation 
but it also bears witness to the generations around us. And if we don't slow down, we destroy that witness. It's a sign. Now, to see this, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 31, Exodus 31. If you grab the Bible from in the room, that is on page 88, and we're going to read here from verse 12 of Exodus 31. This is what we read. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath This will be a sign between me and you, why? For the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you, what? Holy. We've looked at Genesis chapter two and verse three, the word holy. We've looked at Exodus chapter 35, the word holy. God is holy. The creation demonstrates this. The sign of slowing down is so important because it is a sign that basically says, I cannot make myself right with God. I cannot make myself holy. God makes me holy. God is the one that deals with my hurt, my hangups, and my habits. And when I slow down, I am basically bearing witness I'm giving the sign that it's God who does this for me. This word sign means banner. It's literally, when we worship, when we slow down, it is literally like hoisting a banner in the air that says, I am right with God through Jesus. It's a sign. Why do we slow down to power up? Why do we prioritize worship? Because it's a sign for who? It's a sign of reminder to me that I'm right with God because of what God has done, but it's also a sign to the generations, to our kids, to our grandkids. That's why Steve was so right last week when he said, do not give up the habit of meeting together. And it means far more than just joining together on a Sunday for worship. If we neglect that, We are basically espousing this idea that we can put ourselves right with God. We can't. It's a sign. So therefore, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. This isn't so much about a day. This is about a God. This day is holy to us because God has changed us. And anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. That idea of violating the covenant basically means that there is a death in the relationship between us and God. And those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. It's part of the cause for debate. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is to be a day of Sabbath rest. Shabbat Shabbaton, rest of restfulness, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. Now, how are we to observe it? Mourning it? Celebrating it. Celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. How does God celebrate the Sabbath? 
celebrating the Sabbath. Now, some of your translations may have the word observe. The word observe is a fine word, but there's a difference, is there not, between observance and celebration. I wonder how many of you growing up grew up in an environment where the Sabbath was actually a day to be celebrated. I've not lived in Holland a long time, but already I've heard so many stories from people who were once young and are now, let's just say, a little older, where they have shared with me how their Sabbath day observance left them with feelings of dread. It felt more like a funeral than it did a party. How many of you will remember Not far from here, I'm told the grass cut reformed had a a baseball field, and on that baseball field there was a sign, and the sign said, no ball on Sunday. How many of you remember that time when a family fair in McDonald's was closed? I'm told that for many families, just like that lady expressed to me just after the first service, they would go home from church on a Sunday, the curtains would be closed, the lights would be off, and their life would stop until tomorrow. That is not a celebration. That is a dirge. That is a funeral. Is it any wonder that so many of their children got bored and felt that this kind of worship service was irrelevant? The text here says that it's a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign because we worship a God who's put us right. It's a sign that says, hey, when I stop, I'm actually bearing witness to the fact that there is nothing that I can do that makes me right with God. It's what God has done. And I'm stopping and I'm worshiping because in stopping, I'm acknowledging what God is doing. And guess what? If that isn't something to be celebrated, if that isn't something to be joyful about, you know what happens? It has an impact on the next generation and the generation after that. So listen, the best thing that you can do for your kids and for your grandkids is not force them to worship, but to love worshiping yourself. Because the reality is, enforcement is never contagious. Celebration is. Jesus loves to party. Read the parables. And yet, how often have you heard it said that the reason that the vibrancy of Christianity has left America is because the Sunday is no longer holy. Let me tell you a story, church. The reality is that for the early church, there was no legal day set aside for them to worship. They would worship God in the morning, before work. They would worship God in the afternoon, after work, and their faith was vibrant. In our reading through the Bible in 90 days, I thank the Lord that we've left Chronicles. We're now in Nehemiah. And we get to Nehemiah chapter 13, and Nehemiah was a reform guy, and he actually sat people on the gates in a different part of the city in order to make sure that people observed the Sabbath. That may well have been right back then. I have question marks about it. But the reality is, the way forward for us in America is never back. Enforcing Sabbath worship is not the way to get the faith 
vibrant. The way to get our faith vibrant is to slow down and to worship a God who has made us right. Not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done. I don't know what your rhythm of life is, but I do know this. Slowing down is really important for refocusing our mind on what truly matters. So slow down for your sake and for those around you. Now, secondly, the Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is a gift. Now, for this, I want you to turn into the New Testament to Mark chapter 2. That is on page uh, 1003 of the Bibles in the auditorium. And here we discover a couple of stories or encounters that uh, Jesus had with regards to the Sabbath. So this is Mark chapter 2, and we are going to read from verse 23. Mark chapter 2 from verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abithar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Ernst Kaiserman is an author and he tells a, a wonderful true story that happened in Amsterdam in the Netherlands in 1952. In uh, Amsterdam at that point in time, severe storms had basically uh, hit the country, and uh, the city of Amsterdam was threatened with rising tides over the dikes and everything else. And so one Sunday, word went out that the dikes near the center of the, uh, the city had to be strengthened. And uh, this put the pastor in a dilemma because he was a pastor of a basically really strict church that believed that absolutely no work should be done on the Sabbath at all. What to do? He wrestled with it. He thought about it, and he said, I really haven't got the authority to answer this on my own. So he called the church board together, and he said, okay, guys, what are we going to do to deal with this situation? The discussion was predictable, Kaiserman writes. We live to carry out God's will, the board said, and God, being omnipotent, can always perform a miracle with the wind and the waves. They were as reformed as Holland. Our duty, they said, is obedience, whether in life or in death. The pastor tried one last argument. Didn't Jesus break the Sabbath command and declare that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? At that point, an esteemed old man stood up. Pastor, I've always been troubled by something, and I've never ventured to say it until this point. And the pastor's thinking, this is going to be awesome. He's actually going to see sense. But unfortunately, it didn't go that way. The old man continued, now I simply must say it. I have always had the feeling that our Lord Jesus was quite a bit of a liberal. For the Pharisaic legalists at this point, he was. He basically used the experience of David to show that 
while rest is important, absolutely no work, even when necessary, was too strict. You see, in this text, the religious leaders approach the Sabbath from a preventative side, what we can't do. Jesus, however, approached it from the, from the Sabbath, approached the Sabbath from the grateful side, what God had done and the response that we have to that. Jesus basically says, hey, God enables people to experience the power of God, the beauty of creation in a way that brings refreshing. And so what some considered to be a work of sin, Jesus considered the provision of life. Anyone who interpreted such life-giving activity as a burden, Jesus said, only revealed the ignorance of God's goodness. See, the Pharisees would have said, look, Jesus, if the disciples didn't prepare any food for themselves before the Sabbath, they, shouldn't go, they should basically go without but Jesus actually said, you know what? Your attitude destroys the intention of the Sabbath completely. The Sabbath wasn't made for God, Jesus says. God's going to be fine. The Sabbath was actually made for us. God knows, Jesus said, that it's really important for us to slow down in order to power up. And so God created the Sabbath for the well-being of humanity, not the other way around. And so Jesus says God wants us to encourage people to enjoy him, to receive the day as a gift of rest that leads to refreshment. In Exodus, we read that God was himself refreshed from his resting. That word refreshed is from the Hebrew word nefesh. It basically means he was refreshed in his soul, in his living being, in his life. When we slow down, when we Sabbath, when we rest, we refresh our being, our life, our soul. That refreshing is a gift, Jesus said, that is not invalidated by the necessity of work. No, the necessity of work. The Sabbath is a gift. And that gift gets destroyed when we legalize it and when we enforce it. Now, of course, we need to be balanced with this, and I'll address that in a second, but the reality of Jesus' position is, look, when it comes to rest, we all need to rest because worship is really important for us and also for the people around us. But then he says, listen, as you unpack this, as you apply this, just recognize that work is sometimes necessary, and what's necessary doesn't invalidate a gift. A gift isn't a gift, Jesus says, if it's forced. So the Sabbath is a sign. It's a gift. And this gift reminds us that God created the Sabbath for the well-being of humanity, not the other way around. And if you're here and there is no weekly rhythm of rest, you need to slow down. Because this is unsustainable. And this Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Slow down. Receive the gift of rest. Now, thirdly, Sabbath is also a chance. Sabbath is a chance. Sabbath is an opportunity for each and every one of us. And we see this in the very next passage, Mark chapter 3. We've read Mark chapter 2. Now, in Mark chapter 3, we read of another encounter with the religious leaders. 
And what we see here in this passage is that the priority of human need always outweighs conforming to ritual formalities. The power of human need. Mark 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. I'm sure they did. He looked around at them. How? With anger. Religious people should know better than this. If sick people, if hurting people, if broken people, if the kind of people who were never normally found dead in a synagogue or a church come into a church, you'd expect religious people to be overjoyed. That God is the kind of God who makes people holy and makes sick people well, but they won't. This kind of legalistic righteousness makes Jesus mad. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretched out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. See, the sad thing about the teaching of the Sabbath is tradition is often more important than the text. Why is it so hard for religious people who, if they read the Bible at all, realize that I'm saved not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done, why is it so hard for us to kind of read the text and allow the text to read me? Why is it so difficult for me to come to a point sometimes of realizing, you know what, maybe the way I've been living out my faith, believing that I need to, need to, need to in order to, in order to earn God's favor, isn't what I need to be doing at all. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to change my traditions in order to set me free. But the reality of history is, Many people are more sold on their religion than they are on their sacred text. The text here clearly tells us God so loves hurting people that he will break tradition in order to heal them. This text tells us that God loves the broken, the poor, the marginalized, and rather than seeing the Sabbath as an opportunity to step back and allow suffering to continue, Jesus sees the opportunity of the Sabbath to step in and allow mercy to reign. And you know what? That's why I love Sundays. Sunday, in a sense, isn't Sabbath for me because in the church we work pretty hard. After this, many of us on staff will go to our Central Connect lunch. After this is Super Bowl Sunday. You won't imagine what is going to go on on Super Bowl Sunday. Some people on our staff are going to work as hard as you wives are in the kitchen while all of the gas guys watch the game, right? That's basically the way it works. 
But we do that with joy, and we can do that in getting refreshed. Why? Because Jesus says the Sabbath is also a chance to step in and serve, and there is nothing more refreshing than seeing simple service helping and healing broken and needy people. This is the the context. And so what Jesus says is, look, while evil is prohibited on whatever day it is, doing good, that's required on whatever day it is. Church, I want to say, if, if it is true that the Sabbath is a sign, it's a reminder to you and I that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore. If it's a sign that is to remind our kids and our grandkids that, hey, there, there, is, a, there is a God who, who is just so worthy of adoration that I'm going to make it a priority to worship him each and every week. If it is true that this is a, a gift, that God actually comes to those who come to him at the end of a week, at the start of a week, each and every day, and says, hey, I know you're weary, so take on you my rest. That's a gift. And if it is true that this is an opportunity to serve other people, then guess what? We can't afford to get this wrong. Pastor Mike tells a story. True story that happened last spring. And uh, one of his sons had a a lawn care business and uh, he picked up a new customer. So Pastor Mike would invariably, you know, like a dad would, do some of the lawns sometime, right? But this was, uh, picked up a new customer and, and went there with his son. And he was in the car and he overheard the conversation. The lady came out, an older lady, and she says, now, really happy you're doing my lawn. And uh, I, ju- I know, she said, that around here in Holland, there are a number of people who don't think that you should cut the lawn on Sunday. But she said, I'm not one of those people. She said, I go to Christ Memorial. We're fine with those things. But those people at Central Wesleyan, they don't think like that. They had no idea who Pastor Mike was. <laughs> and here's the thing. Did you, did you pick up that word holy? It's all the way through, right? Holy, holy, and we be made holy. Here's the point. The Wesleyan church came out of this idea that this holy God actually is the one who makes us holy. That's the distinctive. Why is it that people who are so focused on helping people become right, righteous, through Christ's sacrifice, holy and blameless, are often the most legalistic. See, what was happening inadvertently is that that lady had an impression through the testimony of some of our saints. Church, we can't afford to get this wrong. Because rest is important. That Jesus' approach to rest is simple. Look, prioritize worship because it's necessary. Prioritize work if it's necessary. And prioritize mercy whenever there's opportunity. See, we can't afford to get this wrong because it's a sign. And see, what we realize is getting the banish right basically means avoiding the extremes where either nothing is possible or everything is permitted. Guys, we don't slow down if that's where we live, in the extremes. Life with God demands we slow down.
I've asked the team to come back and, and sing that song that we've been singing kind of as a theme song. It's a, an act of consecration. You can have it all. And I want them to sing that song because I believe this is true. Unplugging, slowing down, is an act of consecration that declares a certain truth. There is nothing that I can do to make God love me any more than he does right now. If you believe that, slow down. Rest up. Stop thinking that your significance in life is going to be shown through what you do. Start realizing your significance in life comes from who you are and whose you are. And as we go out to the rest of the week, let's just stop. Let's unplug and let's just say, God, thank you that a holy God has made me holy. And I'm stopping right now and I'm worshiping right now because I am acknowledging that there is nothing that I can do, even now, that makes you love me any more than you do. If you believe that, engage with us with this song.